Hey everybody, it's NATO Green. Welcome to the NATO Sessions. This is my podcast, live conversating and podcastery, produced by the Jewish Community Center of San Francisco and its online venue, 3200 Stories. Today, my guest is Jiz Lee. Jiz is a genderqueer feminist porn star. Uh, we're talking about porn all day today. Uh, it's very exciting. Not safe for work, not fun for the whole family in any way. A lot of porn talk. Uh, Jiz I don't look. I don't need to tell you how to find porn in the inter- on the internet. Everybody knows how to find porn on the internet. So, if you want to know more about Jizzly, uh, you can go and look them up. I'll wait. Okay, welcome back. Uh, good, good, good googling or binging or altivisting or whatever you're doing. Um, I, uh, I, you know, I'm not the biggest consumer of porn in the world, but it's kind of unavoidable at this point. And we talk about this a little bit in the interview, but I'm sort of fascinated by the how ubiquitous porn has become in our lives, right? You know, I remember when I was a kid, I worked in a video store in my neighborhood and people had to go behind the beaded curtain to get the porn videos. You know, there's this whole thing about the scrambled cable signal uh, that you would see and like you'd see people going into porn shops in North Beach, you know, or the Tenderloin looking furtive and ashamed. And, uh, and now, you know, porn is a is a, a major profit center for uh, hotel corporations. It's you know it's sort of assumed that anyone with an internet connection is using the internet partly to look at porn. Uh, certainly, men. Um, you know, everybody has people tell stories about what porn they like, and so there's sort of been a mainstreaming of porn uh, uh, that and I and I and I don't know what to make of it. Um, the other thing that I find interesting is like when I I one of the things that I was most struck by, and I don't know that I was able to articulate this at the time, but when I was a kid, when I was like a teenager and I first encountered uh, pornography, like saw my first, you know, hustlers or whatever, uh, that I was, it was always clear that like porn was, that that our uh, cultural ideas about race and gender and class and gen- uh, sexuality and masculinity uh, all got played out in very intense ways in pornography. Um, you know, I, I, in my mind, I have a running game that I like to play of, uh, things that will get you tenure in American studies, uh, if you want to be an academic. And one of those things is I hope someone has gotten tenure in American studies writing about, uh, uh, the kind of cartoons, uh, like single panel cartoons that you see in porno magazines, because, um, I, I just, I remember they were always like these weird, like, you know, like there was one I remember where, uh, the cartoon, it was like a New Yorker style, but it was, uh, in some porn magazine where a guy, a man, white man in a suit comes home and discovers his blonde, big breasted wife in bed with a black guy who has an Afro and a huge penis. And the caption is just the woman saying, uh, and stop calling him boy. It was like, what? That's fucking intense. Uh, so, you know, that that sort of of the things that I am interested in, uh, I feel like pornography is like the, what do they say? Like the squid cell, like scientists study squid cells because they're big and you, it's easier to, to zoom in on the things that are about biology in general. I feel like porn is a good way of uh, zooming in on a lot of stuff about our culture. And, uh, and it's so, it's, and so anyway, that's uh, that's what this episode is all about. Uh, it, we talk about uh, 
Galactic Fisting Day and Queer Aesthetics and uh, and Jizz also. Uh, I've known Jizz for a few years and we met through the writer Stephen Elliott uh, and Jizz happens to be my neighbor. We live like, you know, a hundred yards apart. So I was able to walk down there for some uh, silver dollar pancakes um, one morning and uh, have a nice talk about fisting. So here it is, Jizz Lee. I'm a big uh, advocate for um, education, for sex ed, for like age appropriate, comprehensive sex education so people understand, um, you know, that, that porn necessarily isn't a direct reflection of sex. You know, or that they can, you know, one of the, one of the dangers of having, you know, if we talk about mainstream porn as being this, you know, we know when we see it, there's like, you know, people who look a certain way, they're tan, they're big breasted, long hair, long, you know, you know, like this, uh, the ideal beauty, right. whatnot, um, the, the, with some the, hyper, you know, hyper the, the, detail, the detail that's always so weird to me about mainstream porn is that the men are, seem to be always wearing watches. Oh, and I actually uh, haven't. I was always like, why? Don't I never thought about watches. I always, I always see socks right. on. <laughs> um, sometimes sunglasses, which is, which is interesting. Um, and I, I feel like in, in, when we talk about mainstream porn, we have this like hyper exaggeration of sex. So like these, you know, the secondary sex characteristics, right? Like you have like the large penis and you have like large breasts and a big butt, you know, and you have like those examples of what makes a male or female. Um, but uh I don't know. I think I think like the the dangers in porn then is that when we don't have any other example of or explicit example of what sex is, then we look at porn as um, this is an example of what sex is. And when we do that, we get um, you know ideas about who gets to be sexy, who gets to have sex. You know, um, it might make someone feel like they're not desirable if they don't see themselves reflected in porn. And seeing themselves could be you know a person of color, a person of size. Know, ability is an issue, you know, like um, gender representation or expression. So if you don't see yourself reflected, then, you know, you start to feel like you're not desirable or capable of sexual desire. Um, and then you also see things like um, this is how to have sex, right? So you see like what sex acts there are, and this is how to communicate with someone having sex, like while you're having sex. Um, and this is, you know, like what what is pleasurable. And so when you only have these certain examples of which is very, usually mainstream porn is very formulaic, right? So it always ends with like the cum shot on, you know, XYZ body part. Um, and then also in terms of like the language people use when they're, when they're having sex, you have like derogatory terms, you have like, you know, this and that. Um, I don't know, so. It's very canned, dirty talk. Yeah, yeah. So if that's like your only example of what sex is, then you don't have other examples to look at. So you're like, oh, this is, this is sex. So obviously, you know, you know, you're a guy, you're like, you're, um, you know, I don't know, you think that like your female partner wants to be handled a certain way or talked to a certain way. And it becomes confusing when, you know, uh, that communication doesn't work. Right. I mean, it's, and then, and then there's the other extreme that my, one of my least favorite movie devices of, of Hollywood movies of someone has sex once and is concludes that they've discovered true love. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I was, uh, uh, I was, there is a lot of heteronormative porn that involves two women having sex with each other. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to see if you could articulate, because I, can't and uh not that i would be qualified to it anyway but sort of what you know coming from things from the perspective of sort of genderqueer uh 
films, mm-hmm. like what is the what what distinguishes queer aesthetics, right? In 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 the construction of uh, of porn, right? Or when you're mentioning, you know, uh, the heterosexual uh, gaze of of girl girl porn, right? Or we have like two cis women um, having sex together, and I think that there's an interesting um, divide maybe in terms of how we look at our sexualities. Um, you could have two performers who maybe not, don't identify as gay. You know, they're not they're not queer women, um, but they might really enjoy having sex with each other. You know, or they might be a, a woman who enjoys having sex with other women, and so she does for a job, and so she does girl girl porn. And um, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that there's a lot of people who look to, to that and are um, upset that that's a representation of queer female sexuality. That that you know, this like girl, girl sex is supposed to represent how they have sex because they're, they're also, uh, lesbian. Right. So you have this, like, you know, here's an example of two people having sex with each other and that's supposed to represent lesbian sex. And then here you have like a lesbian community who says, that's not how we have sex. Um, which I feel like that's problematic because it could be how they have sex. Um, you know, you have like, um, scissoring, right? And girl, girl porn. And I know um, a, a lesbian identified or queer identified female performer who um, does scissor in her sexual life. Um, people look at scissoring as like, ugh, like we actually don't do that or whatever, you know, but some people do. There's, you know, cultural signifiers of, of I guess, lesbian or queer identity um, and aesthetic. Some of those tend to be like short fingernails, um, you know, tattooed short hair. It, sometimes it tends to be like a a gender blending or crossover kind of um, gender representation. And that can be a, a signifier of queer sexuality. You know, you can use gender as a signifier in that way. Um, so in that way, when you look at the girl-girl porn where they both look very straight, you know, I'm, I'm using um, air quotes or like funny, <laughs> funny quotes because you can look at those women and say, okay, well, they have, you know, all of these um, visual uh, cues that we would we would um, place on someone who is like a cisgender female who has these ideal beauty aesthetics that are very attractive to heterosexual men. You know, we can see that from the media. Um, so we look at that and we're like, oh, maybe that's not queer. But at the same time, it's like, how can you say how to have sex or who enjoys it? Or um, and I feel in that case, then if if that example of porn is two people who are genuinely having pleasure then that kind of falls into what um, would be, I feel like the queer aesthetic would then, would appreciate that that clip of sex. You know, like if they're actually genuinely enjoying themselves and, um, you know, I mean, the goal is orgasm, I guess, but like sat- satisfying sex, right? Like, you know, I guess you can have someone who's pre-orgasmic or non-orgasmic or whatever, but um, if they're having satisfying sex or with the goal of being uh, having grat- uh, gratifying sex and they're really enjoying themselves and I feel like a queer gays would appreciate that clip um if they're faking it and they're obviously faking it then that becomes another expression of sex which it probably isn't as appreciated and are there elements like you you have you have worked on both sides of the pond so to speak Mm -hmm. in terms of you know la and san francisco and 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 uh like could you are there are there details of the physical space you know what I mean? Like, could you walk into a into, onto a set and say oh. this is going to be a this is going to be a queer friendly shoot or not? You know, but just based on like how it's furnished or whatever. Or like <laughs> that is so hard. I mean, I think that's a that's a bias that I had before I started working in LA productions, where I was just assumed 
that um, that there was going to be a some like an, an attitude attitudinal shift, you know, that there was going to be um, uh, like directives from the production crew. You know, um, one of the things that I appreciate about doing porn, or at least doing queer porn, is that idea that we, the performers, get to choose what we're doing on sexually. I mean, there's some uh, some things you can't do um, uh, for credit card processing reasons. So, so some things are banned, uh, like menstruation, like uh, menses. You can't have blood. Um, uh, credit card companies also don't allow poop. They're um, also really uh, usually don't don't are not in favor of piss. Um, and for a while there were rules like, um, bondage with sex. You couldn't have bondage while having, um, sex. Um, and just before you yeah. continue, my, my working assumption about most of these things is that if, if, if I can think of it, someone is into it. Right. Um, and, and it's being done too. And it's being done. Yeah. But and, it might be done under. And is there like a, is there like a, uh, you know, Menzies scat play sex community that is like outraged and campaigning to change. Them. Oh no, no, having that that agency to basically the director is um, in charge of following you with cameras. You know, they want you to do what you want to do, and they'll stop you if they need to stop. You'll stop if you need to stop. Pee. You know, um, take a break. You know, find something that you wanted to use on the set. Um, the director's job is primarily just to, to follow, much like um, a director who might be filming wildlife. You know, like they want to get the best angles and shots. They don't want to interrupt the process of what's happening. They want it to seem like a documentary, maybe. Um, and I thought that working in L.A., I kind of wondered if it would be um, scripted. You know, like, you know, a director scripting sex where, like, I want you to caress slowly and softly. And then in about five minutes after that, you know, then you can start, uh, you know, cunnilingus or whatever. They probably want to say cunnilingus. They would say, like, you know, like, eat her out or whatever. And then, like, and then... And they would like kind of like describe the sex scene that they wanted, um, and I've never had that happen in LA. And ironically, I've had that happen with other queer identified directors, which was frustrating because um, I think it was a frustrating process because uh, assuming that the director knew who she was casting, she was casting us in ways that was like, "You want us to do what? You know, like um, or that, or if our moaning or orgasms were too loud, then we had to be softer and more." more of what people think of when they think of lesbian porn about being like soft and caressing and you know I don't know <laughs> it was interesting being being asked to be scripted that way when a lot of us had the sex that was like very much opposite of that and then what happened um we like, did it as a job <laughs> <right>. <laughs> yeah we did it and we kind of grump, grumped about it <laughs> yeah and you cashed the check and didn't work with that person again mm. or said it's negotiable yeah yeah but then i'll work with them again um how did you start oh that question um i let's see i um it's always funny like the question of like how did you get into porn well I, I feel like I didn't really identify with anything that I'd seen in porn um, growing up. I'd seen some, like, Skinamax, skin uh, like, half half uh, um, distorted TV channel that you sometimes click on. And the audio is fine, so you can hear all the things that are happening on the audio channel. But um, does, is that, does that still happen? Oh, I don't know now. I think that that's, like, the days of... Because I, I was just... I, I was just remembering, like, just the other day, I walked by a, a house that I babysat at when mm -hmm. I was in junior high. And so, whatever, 
25 years ago. Yeah. And they had cable. We didn't have cable. And I remember getting that, having that yeah. exact, exact experience and the squiggly lines and like hoping that it would come into focus for right. a second. You know, it does. Every now and then you get a nipple. And like, oh, you cool. know, yeah. and, and then you get the full audio. Yeah. And, and the, but I don't, people don't have, I mean, like if I were to go on, and there's porn on this, uh, I mean, I'm such a bad, I'm not a, really a TV watcher. This, the, the, my, my house that I'm in right now, it, it came with, um, came with, some stations or something but if you go to the ones that show porn it just has like a blank screen that wants you know it tells you right. what to pay you know there's no like you know um distorted channel yeah it's, it's gonna be one of those things like like the dial-up modem sound that right. it sort of starts and ends with one very specific generation yeah <laughs> uh, yeah i guess that's the last generation of scrambled uh, porn channels so but you didn't you didn't grow up in san francisco no i grew up in hawaii and uh and was sort of did did you become aware of of porn before before or what was the relationship yeah. between becoming aware of porn and becoming aware of, aware of queer stuff right yeah um mm, i mean probably like my my younger you know like preteens uh, era of like seeing the the cinemax um and maybe having a sense of like there are some corner stores that like have porn in the back you know kind of thing um but even from the Cinemax or from um, back pages of stuff, like I looked at those women, and I'm like, oh, well, that's not really like that's not me, you know. Um, it definitely felt like the the posturing for this like male gaze wasn't something that I felt like doing. And at this time too, I think I was trying to explore like my gender expression, feel get a sense of like, you know, how do you know being a being a young person coming into their their sexuality how do you relate to other people in that way? Like, how do you relate your sexuality to others? Um, and so I think I was trying to figure that out. And I mean, you should have seen some of the things I was wearing. <laughs> I definitely had my slut era of like wearing these like crazy short skirts and trying to figure out like what to do with that sexual energy that that provoked. Um, so that was really interesting. But I I had, had some friends who were doing um, uh, like escorting. Um, they'd go to parties and dance. Um, I was approached to, to uh, I was asked if I would do that, if I was interested in doing that kind of work. And um, it just felt scary to me. I think that I didn't, I didn't know. I mean, I had, and I had had like, you know, people being really aggressively sexual towards me. And I didn't know like as a teen how to, how to, not how to say no, but like what to do with that kind of approach. And so the idea of then going to a party that was full of men, older men, um, felt really intimidating. So I definitely, I didn't get into that at all. And I also didn't feel like, um, uh, that wasn't like a sexual exploration that I was interested in doing, like figuring, figuring out how I can posture myself towards men. Didn't really seem, um, didn't really seem like something I wanted to do. So anyway, I went to, um, you know, I just went on with, you know, being a kid and, um, came to San Francisco for school for college. And, um, it was at an all women's school and in Oakland, and it was awesome. And I definitely um, had a great experience figuring out uh, my sexuality and and really enjoying that and experimenting and getting busy all over the Bay Area. And, um, and still like my perception of porn was, um, I think that it, whatever circle I was in um, wasn't really porn watching circle. I think that there's also, um, and still ongoing perception that there's like no porn for queers or there's no, there's no such thing as real lesbian porn is kind of like a, um, that was my scene anyway. It was like the lesbian scene in San Francisco. And it was like that, that porn's not for us. So we don't care about it, you know? Um, 
And in the late 90s, there was kind of like a porn renaissance that happened with queer, with queer stuff, where it was um, uh, Jackie Strano and Shar Renard did Sir Productions. And so they had like how to how hard love and how to fuck in high heels, which was kind of like a, a butch femme um, uh, porn that was really like open-minded and, and great, very sex positive. And um, Good Vibrations had um, sex positive productions and they did um, Please Don't Stop, which was kind of like a, an advertisement for all the toys. You know, you got to see all the toys in use. And um, I think the plot was like there was some party and people were talking about toys and then they would like go back into flashback mode and like have a, a sex scene that used the toys. Um, but I... Crafty product placement. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, that and then Christopher Lee, who um, unfortunately passed away recently, um, was like great, uh, you know, community leader in terms of like a lot of like trans films fests, film fests. Um, not to be confused with the Christopher no, Lee not, who played not. Saruman in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and he did one that was great. It was called uh, Sex, Flesh, and Blood. And it was like this goth, trans, mostly POC, people of color, like Asian, um, uh, gothy, queer porn. And like there were sex scenes in the cemetery. I think I'm just like going off my memory of it. It was probably 10 years since I've seen it. Um, and so seeing those kinds of examples of, of queer porn, they, don't, they weren't calling it queer at that point. Um, that was really exciting. And I saw that and I was like, I want to do that. I could, I could see myself easily um, doing that kind of work. But at the moment, those had already been produced and there wasn't anything happening, like kind of just had another lull in production. So there wasn't any, or not that I could find any, um, any area of work. Um, and then I was just the right place at the right time when um, Shine Louise Houston was working at Good Vibrations and people were expressing like, hey, are there, are there any, you know, uh, real dyke, I think is what they were calling it, dyke porn. Um, is there any real dyke porn I want to watch? And the only examples she had were those ones from um, late 90s, early 2000s. And people, and this was in 2004, 2005, people really wanted more. Um, so she um, has a film background, and so she decided to quit her job and actually get the funding and start making queer porn. So I was I was at the right place at the right time that I was able to um, shoot with my partner and be able to to get on, to get into her stable of, of queer porn performers. Suburban Dykes was this film that um, uh, Fatal Media did in in the 90s, and it was uh, with Nina Hartley and Sharon Mitchell, who then did um, the Adult Industry Medical um, Clinic. Um, and some other woman who I have no idea who that is, but, um, but they had this, you know, one of the early Dyke, like real Dyke um, porns, um, that included, you know, safer sex with gloves and things like that. Like, I think that's a, that's another signifier of how you know whether, like, queer aesthetic, that you have, um, that you see safer sex barriers being used, mm-hmm. you know? And also more, usually more communication around sex. Like, more, like, consent, like, you know, verbal consent. So people are actually talking during sex and saying, like, yeah, I like that, or do this. And sometimes I think that the, 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 exam- the example of use of barriers and people actually communicating consent is a good signifier of whether something's queer or not. It's, it's funny because, it, I mean, I sort of immediately think, so there's, there is a, a contrary implication, which, you know, I'm not saying it's not, it's not true, but that, that, that there's that, uh, straight sex is associated with not communicating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I know, yeah. It's like, yikes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, and that's what happens too when you, when you teach like a, a queer sex class. Right? Is that what is queer sex? Well, it's like everything. 
So then it becomes this, this all-encompassing sex class where everything is okay. So, you know, does that then invalidate its queer status if it also includes, like, you know, penis vaginal missionary position? Is it still queer, you know? Like- we'll be back with more of the NATO sessions with Jiz Lee. Is, is there is there a uh, a difference in the in the working conditions in from one type of porn to the other? I would say no. <laughs> you know, like I mean, there there's a lot of ethics on set, and I know that ethics doesn't necessarily mean that it's feminist or not. Um, and the feminist porn movement, they're qualifying it with. Um, there's at least three like main main ways that they qualify it, and I'm looking at this like it could be um, a cinematic. Uh, gaze like a way of analyzing a film so in terms of like you know whether or not um a a porn film fits into like the feminist criteria quote-unquote if you're looking at in a feminist gaze um it was either um a female identified person had a hand in the production whether they're the director like main producer the writer some some like large um you know large hand in the the production of the film being made uh, so the, it's creator, basically. Um, and another example, the, like another criteria, is um, that it depicts genuine female female pleasure. So this is to say that that it's like the the female uh, participant in the sex is obviously enjoying herself. So that's what they're looking for. And then the third example is that it depicts something that's alternative or something that's marginalized. So here we have like transsexuality can be included in that, or BDSM, or some kind of sexuality or um, demographic that's not not often um, represented in traditionally mainstream porn. So if you look at those those three qualifiers, um, that happens in mainstream porn, right? Like you have, there's so much porn out there. Um, you have examples of fetish porn, you know, um, sex that isn't, you know, when we think of porn, we think of usually heterosexual. Um, I often think of like anal um, scenes. Um, you know, fake tits and the ends with a pop shot and we can't tell whether or not the girl came. That's what I think of when I think of like what people think about when they think of mainstream porn. But there's so much more than that. There's so many other examples and you have mainstream performers who are feminist identified who have great sex on camera and really enjoy themselves and they get off. So like, does that mean that it's not, that it's not feminist, you know, because it was made by uh, male producers or... um, you know, by a certain production company that maybe also has other features that don't have women who enjoy themselves. Like, it's, it gets messy. I think it's, it's interesting to then flip that coin and try to define what is mainstream. Like, is it the, is it the breadth of the distribution? Is it, um, is it the, the opposite of those three qualifiers from feminist porn? What do you, what, what's your understanding of, of how the economics of, of the industry have changed? You know, I mean, like, you're talking about, I, I mean, I certainly remember too, like, going into video stores and the porn was behind the beaded curtain, mm-hmm. you know, or the, 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 like, certain section of the magazine rack at the drugstore kind of thing. And, and there is a, there is a ubiquity to porn now, you know, right. like, it is a major profit center for the Hyatt Corporation. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's sort of assumed that everybody who has the internet will is using it to look at porn. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and that, you know, was not true 
20 years ago. Right. Uh, so is that, what does that, what does that mean? Yeah. I think that the, and, and there's been studies or, or there's been reports that are trying to, to say like, oh, porn is uh, a X billion dollar business, you know, and it's really hard to get a, a finite number on that because you have to look at, are we only talking about porn, you know, um, produced and distributed within the United States? You know, like, are we only looking at porn that is then produced and distributed in places where it's legal to produce and distribute porn? So then they would be reporting it. Um, I think Florida and California and um, I think there's a, there's a couple other states where it is legal to produce porn. But some of them is not, but people are still doing it. Um, and I, we also have this, like, perception from, 70s, from the 70s of porn, um, the porn era of, you know, like you basically go and you do porn and you become this like multimillionaire and you know, like you uh, have fancy cars and people are doing coke and you know like that's like that um, that image of the porn star life or whatever from the seventies which I think is that era of um, a boom where you have in um, full disclosure yeah we're sitting in your house right now and there is a giant pile of coke on the table <laughs> <laughs> it's actually pancakes <laughs> <laughs> that's a euphemism. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, with, you know, people having VHS players, um, you know, people weren't going to theaters anymore to see porn. They were, they were able to have it in their home. Um, and when the internet came along, I think that, um, the digitizing pornography made it more accessible. And I think that that, um, that, that jackpot of money that people associate with porn, it dwindled, you know, like there are more people making porn now. Um, the technology is more accessible like back then. And, you know, the, the Mitchell brothers or the, um, uh, you know, the, the days of like, you know, those, those porn classics that had just come out and they were treating, they were treating porn at that time as film, you know, the actors came out of the film industry. Um, so they were, they were high quality actors and, um, and, you know, you had the budgets and the the attention to, to detail and focus of other feature films around that era. So you have um, those kind of films. And with, you know, this digital boom of more access to cameras and um, distribution, um, I think that, uh, I don't know, it's hard to say, like, the industry spread thin, um, not only in, in, like, I guess, competition of that, um, but also in, in consumption. So, I mean, people, um, today assume that porn is free because you can get online. And so they don't pay for it anymore. And so like a porn scene doesn't really pay that much. You know, like you can't just like quit your day job and do porn and think that you can do that or do that enough to be able to do it for a couple of years and then retire. Like that doesn't happen. So it's interesting because there's this, this tracks a conversation that's happening in the comedy world about sort of right. how direct to fan distribution is, is right. changing, you know, and that because of podcasts and YouTube and Twitter feeds and whatever, like that people, you know, you might not become a multimillionaire, but there are people who can carve out like a little niche for themselves with some independently produced right. thing. Yeah. You know, do you feel like people are giving away content for free or do you think that it's a matter of, if it's good content, then you'll strike it rich and get picked up by something or get enough enough fans that you'll be able to sell something and make it, make it back. Uh, yeah. I mean, no, you know, people are certainly giving away content for free and lots of it. Um, you know, 
it sort of uh, like in my time in comedy, there's been, you know, everybody get a MySpace page. Right. Now everybody get a Facebook page. Right. Now everybody get a blog. Now everybody make yeah. a video. Now everybody do a podcast, yeah. you know. And keeping that shit updated is work. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, you know, you, you, uh, you know, it's, there was a time where you just had to worry about writing good jokes. And now it's, you have to be at this full, full spectrum, you know, small business, like digital programmer, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the, the sort of the theory is that when it works, what it ends up doing, you give, give content away for free and then it drives ticket sales at live shows and that's where you make your money. Mm-hmm. But If you looked at that, like if we took that and mirrored it to porn, I would say that that's like porn stars on Twitter, you know, and they have all these followers and that popularity of their followers will get them another paid gig in a movie. There are times where I feel like, I feel like sexism is getting worse. Yeah, you know, um, and the and the intensity of objectification of women is is there was uh, there was one night I was performing at the Punchline and I had I had it was a Friday or Saturday so I I had done a late show and I was driving home at like one in the morning and I drove down uh, Harrison Street towards the freeway and there was like one of the big dance clubs in South of Market and I saw uh, uh, for the first I, I saw a mob of people in front and then I saw two girls gone wild party buses mm-hmm. and then a row of ambulances and i was like this sums it all up right here right. you know <laughs> um, yeah. this is a perfect snapshot of what something i don't know what, what it is but uh so like you know i mean like what we were talking about with rape jokes that yeah. these things can be progressive and reactionary forces yeah so sort of how is how 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 is that conversation going uh well, I think there's more dialogue. It's hard. I mean, sometimes it's hard. Okay, so, you know, natural disasters happen, right? And, you know, we're online and we know about them within a matter of minutes that they happen. Um, are there more natural disasters happening because we're online and we're able to know that there's more? <laughs> or, you know, like, or is the extent of them worse because we're able to get a body count within, you know, that keeps updating within 15 minutes of knowing what's going on? Um, I think that there there seems to be a slow evolution in the dialogue um in in media in uh like the big media like you know msnbc will talk about queer porn or you know the lovely tristan taramino will be interviewed on um, joy bear show or you know like um nerdland was awesome like having her talk to melissa uh, perry harris harris perry harris perry yeah it's great um and so like the the mass audience is hopefully getting closer towards like a a liberal idea about sex and able to talk about pornography because I feel like it's still a very taboo subject, um, which is evident in in comments that happen you know from shows like that. Um, a lot of people still don't want to have dialogues about porn. They think that it should be something that's not talked about. Um, so I don't know. Like I I feel like there's a slow evolution of um, you know, it's like, it's like a learning curve of media being being okay to talk about it. And in many ways, I think that this the, the feminist porn movement um, is a, it puts a foot in the door of having that conversation because it's safer. You know, like it's safer to talk about pornography that is a woman's uh, expression of women's sexual liberation than it is to talk about otherwise. You know, like, but then in the day, it's also porn. <laughs> like it's all porn, right? So it's like, I think it's helping people talk about um, about sex. Yeah. I mean, I feel like sometimes I get so tired of the conversation though. Cause I'm like, like, why can't we just have, like, 
what's wrong with fucking pleasure? You know, like what's wrong, what's wrong with pleasure? Like, why can't we film it? Why can't we watch it? Why can't we have it? Why do we have to keep on saying that it's bad for us or that it's like, it's, it's, you know, if you enjoy it, then you're obviously, you know, victimized or, you know, like, why are we, why do we think that we're incapable of pleasure? So I'm kind of like, sometimes I get like totally tired of the, the conversation and then sometimes it opens up really great dialogue and discussion because it is like, there's no right answer, you know? There's no like solution. I mean, people like in the seventies when Annie Sprinkle was doing porn, um, you know, she's quoted as saying that the answer to bad porn, which we were talking about bad porn, maybe that's mainstream, I don't know, um, is not no porn, which is a lot of anti-porn feminists are like, well, just like don't have, don't make porn anymore, right? And that's not the answer. So for Annie, it was you know the answer isn't um, isn't no porn. It's to make better porn, and in that in that case, I'm like it's not really not to make better porn, but just to make more porn. So you have more diverse diversity of porn. So you have, you have um, examples of sex that um, can be relatable to people who really need that example. Um, so you don't have those dangers we talked about earlier of having uh, a limited view of what sex is and who gets to have it and what it looks like and, and that be our only sex ed, you know? So I think that um, what Annie was saying in the 70s of like making better porn is still happening and there are more people making more porn now um who's to say what's better right like i don't know like you know if, you, if, if it works for someone then it's good for them right you can't say what what better porn is because that's in the eye of the beholder I learned about something that I'd never heard about before, which was the Cambria list. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that and what you make of it? Yeah. So Paul Cambria is a attorney, I think, um, working in obscenity cases um, in, I think it was just the early 90s, around the Bush era. Um, and so he, you know, in terms of like obscenity, it's kind of a matter of like, community standards it's really hard to define sometimes um you know what what qualifies as, as an obscene um act or you know depiction in porn so what this um what what paul cambria did is created a list which was basically his advice to filmmakers and saying hey if you want to stay out of um you know the federal court system or if you, if you want to like not not be um prosecuted for obscenity charges which there are um uh, few directors right now in prison for obscenity, um, then I would advise that you stay away from these things. So we made a list and some of them on that list are a little, um, ridiculous, you know, like, um, candles. You can't like melt candles on someone. Blindfolds. Don't blindfold someone because someone might think that's obscene. Um, interracial sex, um, transsexuals, obscene, <laughs> you know, like, um, and then there are things like, you know, you, uh, a man can't slap his penis on a woman's face. Um, there's the list, the list is like, I don't know, about 30 or 40, um, items. Some of them are, um, I feel like maybe that's dated now. Like there are plenty of porns where, you know, a penis is slapped on a woman's face, um, where more than one penis comes on a woman's face. Um, obviously we have interracial porn, which is great. We have, um, transsexual porn. We have, um, people wearing blindfolds and being like having melted, melted candle wax fall on them. Um, but then there are other things on there um, that we, for whatever reason, don't have still, which includes menses, so period blood, 
Um, I think other blood also um, falls into that. And um, fisting, which is a big thing of, of mine, which is like, really? Like, you can't have this certain kind of sex um, because it might be obscene. And if we look at this list, it, it kind of is a reflection on, um, like, our sex ed that we get as kids. You know, like, it's basically like a very ignorant, um, a very... Um, you know, kind of like othered, you know, like these things are scary, so we won't do them kind of list. And it's just, it's, I think that it's like really ridiculous. Um, so I don't know. I love fisting. So I was like really shocked to see that on the list. The other thing about that is that some of these pertain um, to, um, in terms of like marketing um, porn on a larger scale. So if we're talking about mainstream porn, people are looking at that list and that's kind of depicting what what mainstream porn is. So in, in gay male pornography, you'll have fisting and that's okay. Um, but if this was marketed in terms, this is, or we're talking about like mainstream or straight porn. And so that's why people pertain, that's why people like use this list because they think that this list is the word of God. And you need to like, this is like, they look at the list as if it's legal when it really is just a suggestion. Um, and I think, I feel like the, you know, the courts probably look at it as if it has legal bearing also. Um, because it was created, so yeah. I don't know. That's the Cambria list. And, and are, are 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 people queuing up to do some test cases of? Oh no! Why was <laughs> you're like you're like I'm going to test this theory and let's see. Uh, on this list is bestiality, so you know, like let's go ahead and see how many you know how many items on this list we can do, or like you know, um, they're they're uh, as far as I know. Um, there was no like quote unquote lesbian or you know girl girl uh, female body performer sex scene that included fisting until a scene that I did with Nina Hartley in um, 2011, and I don't know if there was an example of fisting in a DVD or VHS for that matter before then because of this list. Um, there is plenty online because the internet is different. Um, has different set of rules because of the idea that um, obscenities are community standard. It's a lot easier to um, enforce those when you're dealing with a hard good item. So like if it's mailed somewhere, you can look at the laws that are in that state and what they say is obscene or not. And then you can prosecute based on what those laws have. Um, you can't buy porn in some states. So you can't have <laughs> porn mailed to you, but you can watch it online. So, you know, like, and, and um, um, was it Comstock in like England? Like, there's like um, that that whole thing. Um, I'm a terrible historian, sorry. But so Tony Comstock and the Comstock Law was like um, basically dates back to England and the um, the mailing of obscene items through the mail or the the purchasing of obscene items through the mail. So that all still goes back to those days. Like milk enemas, you know, like right. you gotta get milk enemas are like the bane of human. Right. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the last ones. Was a milk enemas um, two? I think was the the DVD that was... <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Huh. So, and it's milk because it's, a, because it's a white substance, so it's easier to see on film as opposed to, like, a water animal or something. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, Huh. Uh, <laughs> uh, what about, like, Kool-Aid? Has anyone tried the Kool-Aid anima film? Um, I think um, uh, Aiden Riley, who shoots with Evil Angel... I think that he's done, um, I don't think it's Kool-Aid, but it was food coloring in water. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, so but yeah, I mean, what is that rule thirty four or something, right? Like <laughs> the rule of the internet. If it's if it's been thought of, there's a porn about it. Right. Yeah. Uh, so and so you ha- have called National Fisting Day. Yeah. Uh, how's that going? Um, it's it's been going well. I think it's maybe three years old at this point, and it was started um, uh, with Courtney Trouble and myself. Um, let's see. Well, if it was three years old, I think it must be. It, we, we, I'm sorry if I'm getting dates again, terrible, um, without the internet in front of me to verify dates. Um, <laughs> you and the rest of our yeah, society. Yeah. So that, that scene that I um, have with Nina Hartley where she's fisting me. Um, so that scene is in a film that Courtney was doing and, um, there was a internet company, internet based company, video distribution, you know, VOD site that wouldn't take that um, that film because of that scene, because of fisting. And that was really surprising to me because supposedly if it's online, it's okay because there's not physical, right, like ramifications of where it's being sent to or whatnot for fisting. Um, and still, I mean, like fisting is not illegal, <laughs> you know, like it's not an obscene act. And so I'm tired of people like thinking that it is just because some guy thought that it was just like he thought transsexuals are obscene and interracial sex is obscene. He also thought fisting was obscene. So according to Cambria, you know, like, um, I think the, the, uh, beliefs of one man should not dictate what everyone else gets to think is sex. Um, it, there, I just want, want to share with you that yeah. in, in comedy, there's an interesting, like the thing that happens where I will sort of like, I'm not a particularly dirty comic, but I will gauge an audience and sort of have to profile them to yeah. assess how, like where I can go with stuff. Uh-huh. And so they're like, you can mention fisting in a, in a comedy performance in San Francisco and people will laugh and enjoy it. But right. like if you mention fisting in a comedy performance in Marin County, huh. it's like too much for people. And, huh. You know, so like I've been on Is stage. that why they live in Marin? Okay. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. that, that's the line. That, yeah. uh, we're not into fisting. Time to move right. to Marin. Um, yeah. so, uh, so we uh, like I've been on stage in Marin where I've actually had to negotiate with with an audience. They're like, we're, you know, I'll say it's fisting and then they'll be like too much. And I'll be like, uh, French kissing and be like, okay, more than that, you right. know? <laughs> so, and then trying to find like where they would let me live. So anyway, so yeah. carry on. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I don't know. So it was that, it was that idea that they wouldn't pick up this movie simply because of that fisting scene. And if Courtney had edited it, it, that the, where she had her camera at at that moment, she would have had to edit out my orgasm, which is ridiculous. Right. So she was like, fine. Um, you know, you will not carry my DVD. That's okay. And, I, I don't know if it was my idea or we just kind of like said at the same time or something um, that we should, you know, declare like as, as um, you know, is the, um, I don't know. I don't know if it's a San Francisco thing, but I feel like there is that community like awareness raising, like let's make a day of it. Like let's, you know, <laughs> let's get organizations involved and everyone right. can have this day. And so like we created, um, you know, International Fisting Day or Global Fisting Day. People like to say national, blah, 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 because it seems official, but it's really international or global or... Galactic. Galactic. <laughs> Universal Fisting Day. Um, Fist of Tribble. You yeah. Know. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>, hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, I have something to show you after this that I think you might appreciate. Um, uh, that that we would create this day and um, try to get other organizations to share it and um, encourage people to read up on fisting, write about it, give tips, basically try to destigmatize um, the word, you know, try to educate more about it. Um, 
I think that people assume that it's painful, you know, just like people um, might've had early, like, at least I don't think right now, I think that we've kind of, um, uh, you know, anal sex mm -hmm. used to have, um, and maybe, maybe for some people it still does have this connotation that it's a painful sex act. And I think that it is because, um, because a lot of education around, around anal sex that, um, people are understanding now that if you do it, quote unquote, if you do it right, um, then, then it can be enjoyable. And I think that fisting has this idea of, of being painful, you know, it's, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the shape of a punch, right? <laughs> you know, like people, people associate, um, a, a fisted hand with, um, punching and violence and, and we see so much violence, but we don't see, you know, we don't see enjoyable sex all that much. So I don't know. We, uh, we did fisting day. I feel like it's been a success. I mean, it's hard to measure, um, you know, the DVDs are, is like, you know, could we, could we measure the state of success of fisting day by this company being like, oh, well, okay. You know, <laughs> you know, society perception around fisting has changed. So we'll take that DVD and, and we'll, we'll sell your movie. Um, you know, I, 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 the very least, I would hope that we would impede the idea that websites can't show fisting just because this one website does and they're a major site. Um, so I want to try to stop that from happening because again, it's not an obscene act. Um, then can I ask yeah. what, what is it that you love about it? A feeling of fullness. Yeah. What does that mean? Mm. Okay. So that's one of those things that like describe sex or descri describe, describe what an orgasm feels like. Um, so, you know, there, there are a ton of nerve endings, um, in the vulva and vagina and some of them, um, like, you know, if you have your, your clitoris at the, the top, I guess, of the vulva, the, there's actually legs. There's, like, nerve, nerve legs that extend down and go around the outsides of the, of the vagina and the inside. And um, a lot of the sensation that um, comes with penetration, like when, why some people who have vaginas can orgasm from penetrative sex versus some people who can't, is a lot to do with the, the psychology, like, they're... they're their pleasure sensors, right? Um, of whether or not they enjoy that pleasure of those, um, those areas of those nerves, um, with that come with penetration and that kind of feeling of that fullness, um, versus like, you know, a lot of people have vulvas, um, tend to, um, orgasm with clitoral stimulation more because they have, they associate more pleasure with those nerves that are on the top near the clit, which are more intense. Um, so it has a lot of the same kind of feelings of penetrative sex fisting does, um, but it's intensified because it's, the hand is considerably wider than most penises, um, depending on the hand and the penis, of course, <laughs> you know, um, and there's also, um, um, dexterity that's involved with hands, you know, like you could have like a large dildo say that might take up the same amount of space as a hand. And they actually do have dildos that are someone's replicated fist. And you can show that in porn, but you can't show a real hand, which is still another <laughs> really ridiculous. You can put a foot in someone's vagina in porn, but you can't put a hand. Um, not the entire foot. I haven't seen that happen, but you can put like the first part of the foot in, into someone's vagina, but you can't put your hand. Um, the hand is really dexterous. So you can move you have it. to keep an eye out for athlete's vagina. <laughs> <laughs> I know, the pH balance of the, of the vaginas. Um, yeah, so like when your hand is inside someone, you can move it, you can expand it, you know, you can change the change the you know the area, the mass of a hand when it's in there. You can actually cup the cervix and like jerk off the cervix. Um, yeah, like the cervix is kind of like this conical shape that it points out. You can wrap your 
you know, you can kind of cup it in your hand and, and, and stroke that. There's a spot called the A spot that's like right behind the cervix that feels really pleasurable to have pressure there for a lot of people. And so you can actually reach that area and feel it with your hand versus, um, I mean, I wasn't born with a penis, so I don't know what that might feel like to, to have the tip of my penis, like my, you know, my penis had hit that area of the A spot. Like, I don't know what that would feel like. And when I wear a strap on, I don't have that sensation, like feedback, but with my hand, someday I, technology will I know. make that possible. <laughs> <laughs> born the wrong time. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, with my hand, I can get this direct feedback, you know, like I can tell what I'm doing and how my partner's responding to it. And, and it just feels so cool. It's like the coolest feeling in the world. And also it's like all of the warmth of the human body like you can, like you take your hand out afterwards and it's steaming, you know, like it's actually like this 90, you know, there was a human body 98 degrees, whatever. Um, it feels hot, like temperature hot. Um, it also just feels like to have your hand enveloped, it feels warm and um, to feel someone crushing, like to use their, their vaginal muscles and PC muscles and crush down on your hand when they're orgasming too, like those spasms and like the contractions that happen is amazing. Like I can come. I, I like, you know, people talk about, um, you know, um, you know, you lose sense of your limbs or whatever, but you can, you end up being able to come by somebody licking your nipple or, you know, sucking on your thumb. Like, I feel like I can come from having my fist inside someone because it just feels that good. And that response of, of, of that communication of knowing how they're feeling feels orgasmic. Um, and as a receiver, I love that feeling of fullness. It's, it's something that's hard to get other, in other ways. And because of the shape of the hand, it's something you can't really easily um, stimulate. You can't like easily replicate that in something like a dildo because it just doesn't have that mobility of being able to be narrow at the entrance, you know, and fit in and then expand. Um, they have toys that um, are inflatable that are kind of like that, like a bulb where you put it inside someone and then you can, you can pump air into it and then it expands when it's inside. But um, because the hand is, you know, dexterous and it can change shape, um, you have a lot of flexibility with that, but it's harder to get with the dildo. What I'm imagining is mm-hmm. like, like how, like in like olden days or whatever, they would like build a model ship inside of a bottle <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> where you would have to like get, get all the sticks in and then yeah. pull something but so the ship would build right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> without breaking the bottle. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate you sitting down with me over this pile of massive pile of pancakes, silver dollar ones. The silver dollar pancakes. Uh, And uh, uh, everybody go get fisted. (laughs) (laughs) At least try it once. That was Jizzly on the NATO sessions. I'm NATO Green. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Nato Green. Go to 3200stories.org for more information about the podcast and to get new episodes that become available. 